thank you guys, appreciate that. I don't need any T.D. Jakes music in the background. I'm good. Um, it's a real honour to be here today with you guys. Paul and Jeannie haven't just become somebody I get to know. They've become good friends. We hang out a lot together. Uh, we go to discos occasionally at times. But um, also Nathan and Debbie and the rest of the team, Gavin and everyone else, just got to know them so well. It's, so it's an honour to be here, be here today. Uh, I, I'm doing a bit of a UK tour, you might say. Um, I've, I've started in Croydon yesterday, made my way on a train, a very dysfunctional train, I might add, all the way up here. Uh, then tomorrow I go to Lancaster on a train, we're, we're hoping, and then to Dumfries on the Tuesday. Then I come all the way back to Croydon. Yeah, I don't know why either. And then I fly from there up to Edinburgh, and then I thought I'll go home. But I love to come to the UK because I was saying to somebody, I can import proper bacon from the UK. Because in Denmark, we have that strip, American strip bacon. And uh, as you know, the Danes are big pork, uh, pork uh, producers. In fact, actually, most of the pork in, uh, that you eat is from De Denmark. But um, so I am actually taking, coming to the UK, buying Danish pork and taking it back to Denmark because they don't make your cut. Isn't that extraordinarily stupid of them? And I've said this, you need to make the British cup, cut, but they don't sell it. And sausages. You have the most amazing sausages here. And I take truckloads, kilos, in hand luggage. Yep, I sneak it through and get it home. And the, the other time, uh, I, I brought a pumpkin home with me. And um, because they, you have these grey pumpkins, we only have yellow butternuts in Denmark. The produce section for fruit and veg is very small, to be fair. And uh, I brought this pumpkin through Heathrow Airport in my hand luggage. And I thought, it'll be all right, it'll just go through. And then the, the guy, you know, who's working the screens, he, he pulls it out, holds it up and says, whose is this pumpkin? <laughs> 400 people are gazing at me as it's my, it's my pumpkin. And I know what they're all thinking. Why would you take a pumpkin home in your hand luggage? So I explained to a few people around why. But anyway, so I, I'm going to be importing cakes and biscuits and tea and stuff all the way home. Trust me, when I go home, this, my bag's going to be full of stuff that well, I can't get. Anyway, um, my um, wife and I, we celebrated <coughs> 45 years of marriage about two weeks ago. We got married when we were 10. And... Um, <laughs> Very young. Actually, she was 18 and I was 20, believe it or not. And we, we celebrated this thing and it was really a good event. There's a few people around and somebody yelled out from the crowd, how have you been married to him for so long? And she just immediately replied, he travels a lot. Uh, <laughs> that went out there like that. Um, but next year, I think the best celebration for me is uh, 50 years as a Christian. Uh, every day I remember, I think about the moment I met Jesus and became a Christian, it's, it's just implanted in my life. It's something I cannot forget every day. And I think of the, you know, life has had its ups and downs, but I started here and I'm now there in terms of how I live and who I am. Haven't wandered away from it. I, I love being a Christian. It is absolute, and the best part about Christianity is not tomorrow, it's when you get 50 years down the line, because a lot of the stuff clicks in then. It takes a long time for stuff that you believe for a long time to click in. You've got to stay with the course. So on this journey here today, I said to, to Paul, do you mind if I teach some stuff on finances? 
And uh, because I, I, I want to talk about things that I've discovered in 50 years and being married 45, what works in terms of Christian life. So he said, of course you can. We're welcome. You're welcome to do that. So I'm going to do that today. Is that okay with you? So I want to read some verses to you to get started on this subject. And please open your hearts right now. What I'm sharing you today is biblical truth, but principles that have and do work in the long term. Here's a great verse. It says this in Timothy. It says, uh, Timothy 6.1. They said, I can see this on the screen, but there's a lot of lights up there. Command those who are rich in this present age. Is, I'll do it from here. Command those who are rich in present age not to be haughty, but trust in certain riches, but in the living God, I love this bit, who gives us all things to enjoy. Key idea there is that God is not trying to take away the fun out of your world that you can enjoy life. And he says to those who are rich, you know, how to live and, and how to do this well. And can I just say this? I don't know where you're at, but we live in a rich part of the world. If you consider where the globe is right now, with many uh, talking about other nations, European people, British people, Australians, America, we're, we're, we're filthy rich. We have got it good. But God wants us to enjoy the things that He has given to us. So I want you to keep that in mind as I talk about this. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it'll be given to you in good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll flow out of your pocket. Now the pocket idea there was in the Jewish garb. They had a, a, a thing up here they would store all their stuff in. And that was their pocket, almost like a wallet to us or something like this. And this would be coming out over giving, as you give, flowing out, it would be in full measure, it would be measured back to you, Luke 6, 38, you would receive an abundance. Giving, not just your finance, but time, energy, passion, it's going to come back. It's very hard to be poor as a Christian and deliberately make that choice if you give. If you give, it comes back all the time. I had a a friend of mine who lives in Norway, the richest country in the world probably right now. And they will be through this energy crisis, that's for sure. They're pumping gas out of the ground like you have no... They closed it all down a few years back and was quite desperate. Now it's all coming out again and trillions of dollars worth of gas is being pumped out. They're an extremely wealthy nation. This is what he said to me. I don't believe as Christians we should be rich, we should be poor. And I said, for you to be true to that statement, you need to sell up the house you own, get rid of all the government support you've got and move to a country that has that scenario for you. It's hypocrisy to say that when you live in a country like this. Needless to say, he's not my friend much anymore. But <laughs> you get my point. We say some strange stuff, particularly as a Christian when you're giving so regularly, and I can guarantee this in my own life, you just cut, you get overwhelmed by what God gives back. You get overwhelmed what is just being measured to you and, and flowing out of your life. And it's not just finances, it's many other things, many other good things. And then Jesus in Luke 30, uh, 21 3 is standing next to the offering bucket in the synagogue and he says, This, this widow has put in more than all of you. Put in out of her abundance, you put in out of your abundance, but she put out of what her loss or what she, she had nothing. She gave everything she had out of her nothing. And, and he honours that lady who's chosen to give a very small portion, but it's everything she had. And I think that's quite 
astonishing because there's two reasons. The first is this woman had nothing but gave all she had. Now that's going to come back to her. I just read the verse before. The second part is that Jesus was standing at the offering bucket looking in it. Have you ever thought of that? How would you like your pastor to op- get you to open up your app or look at your scan code and see what you gave every Sunday? Well, if Jesus was your pastor, that's what he'd do. We don't do that here. You sound happy about that. But he measured that stuff. He looked at that stuff. You see, I think there's a parallel in finances to discipleship. And if there's no connection between the two, that you want to be a disciple of Jesus, but actually you're not willing to get control of your finances, something's wrong with your paradigm on discipleship. Now, there are three basic ways we can financially contribute into the kingdom and what God is doing. Here they are here. The first one is what we call tithing. Now, tithing literally means 10%. It's not a it's not a donation of a few quid every month regularly transferred. It's not a, a, an amount you feel like giving at some moment because you can. It's actually an amount that's se- separated from our income and it's given regularly and it's 10% of something. Does that make sense? I need to say that because I've had people say to me, well, I tithe a bit, you know, I'm, I'm involved in tithing and you find out actually what they're doing is sending 20 quid a month. That's not tithing. It's great, thank you, it's, it's an offering. But tithing is when you say, as, as God sees my economy and I see my economy through his lens, I want to start somewhere with what I have. Now I'm gonna come back to this one in a moment. But the second way of giving New Testament is offerings, where you give above the tithe. So anything below the tithe is not an offering and can't be generous. generous. Generosity is what we do after the tithe. The tithe is not generous, it's just what we do. When I give an offering, now I'm being generous. So when Paul writes about generosity, he's talking as a Jewish Christian and to the pagans who were there at the time, me and you, he's saying the tithe is the bottom line, generosity is your offering. Be generous in your offering. But it's up to you what you do. Uh, If you haven't got the inclination, don't bother. If you have got the inclination, be generous. Generosity isn't giving a tithe, that's standard practice. I wrote a book on this uh, tithing issue called God's Economic Engine because every kingdom has an economic engine and today I'm gonna uh, go through this in brief form but I have the book with me so you can purchase this, have a look at the book and see what you think about some of the things. You You can do a deep dive into them. The book's main idea is if I was not, if I'd never read the Old Testament, would I tithe? if I only read the New Testament? And the answer to that is in the book. You can get that later. I'll sign that. I'll sign that for you too. And you can sell it on eBay after you've finished it for a great profit and say, this is rubbish. You can buy this for nothing. Anyway, so the third way is sacrificial giving, which is like we have our half of the house or don't know what you call it here, but it's that time where you give beyond all those other two. And it might cost you something. In our church, we do that once a year, sometimes when there's a project, we have sacrificial giving opportunity or offering opportunity. I love those moments because it's got to hurt me. You might think to yourself, and I've been in this 50 years, you might think to yourself, surely the tithe hurts. Well, I've been doing it so long, there's no pain in that. I, I want to have opportunity in my life to give sacrificially where it does hurt. If the tithe is hurting, then you don't have discipline over your finances. Because you didn't start right from the first place. 
So I want to talk to you today, not about the other two, I want to talk to you about tithing. Is that okay? I want to touch that one with you and see where we go. And as I said, unpack some ideas for you in this about tithing. Now, I'm talking to you about it today because I am a practiced tither. I have never not tithed in my life. Well, that's not true. 20 years ago, about 18, 20 years ago, I actually did stop tithing. I started doing double tithing, then triple tithing, and then four times tithing. To right now, I do 50% of income as a tithe. I do it every month. How the heck do you do that? I started a long time ago by just quietly putting it up every month because I had a goal 20 years ago because I love Jesus and what he's done. I love Christianity and supporting what he's doing. I had a goal that at age 65, I would be giving 50% of income to the work of God. So I just quietly would put it up. The best time I found to put it up was an economic, what's the word, conflicts that are going on. Every time there was an economic, see the kingdom of the world says, or the culture of the world says, hunker down, get your storehouse, you know, fill your, get lots of toilet paper. Get cans of beans. They go together well, don't they? Cans of beans and toilet paper. But anyway, get this stuff and hunker down. Get ready. The kingdom says, actually, this is a time to rise into something. 2008, I immediately went up about 6%. 2008, that's not going to get me. I'm in the kingdom of God. And I see it that way. Now, I'm a... I haven't got a salary in the sense of a church backing me. I travel. I'm sort of like having to rely on what's out there. So I'm talking from that standpoint, not I have a business or I have this or that supporting me. I, every week, have to do what a lot of you do is in your companies and business, hope that customers come, hope that people are prepared to give, hope that, do you know what I mean? So I live on that edge. So to give like that was a challenge, but I'm telling you after 50 years, it's an amazing thing to see what God does. So I'm investing in this way, and I, I believe in that. I, I think the second thing for me on tithing is that when we talk about, if I talk to you today about uh, water baptism, let's say I came and said, I want to talk to you about the uh, discipleship life of uh, getting baptized. See, some people quite often struggle to get baptized. I don't know what it is, but it's a spiritual thing, isn't it? Because spiritually, when you get into the water, if you've been baptized before as a child or in reference to your parents or maybe you've never been baptized before, what you're technically saying is, I'm dying for the cause. I'm dying for Christ. And it hurts spiritually to say that. But the Bible teaches as we go into the water, we are dead and rising into new life. It's not just a symbol of following Jesus only. There's a spiritual transformation that takes place. Well, I put tithing and baptism as equals. To me, they're the same. Because if I can do that with my spiritual life, I have to start with my financial life. There has to be a moment where I say, I can do that not only spiritually, but also in my life uh, in my financial life. And I know out there today, there are other um, uh, campuses watching and we welcome you to this. And I hope that at the end, you grab hold of what I'm saying and you, and you apply it where you are because application is the key. I'm saying this to you because it brings freedom. I am saying this to you because the one thing I do know is that there's no, there wasn't a situation where people, oh, help us, we need this message. That's not happening. This is something I've wanted to. You need to know this right now. So people said to me, well, what would your last message be if after 50 years of being, it would probably be this one. 
alongside of some other things you'll see as I go along. But this one, if you get this right, everything else makes sense. Just as if you get baptism right, it makes sense. So this is a discipleship message as much as anything else. How do we do these things? How do we unpack this? Why do we do it? What does the Bible teach? These are the things that you might be asking. Well, here's, here's what it says. Here's something we need to know, that Jesus supported tithing. And this is what it says in Matthew 23, 23 and 24. You tithe the herbs, speaking to the Pharisees. These were the police, the religious police of the day. If you're doing anything wrong, the scribes and the Pharisees would get you. They would come out like the Australian police did on the beaches of Australia during COVID. And they would arrest you for going down and having a swim when nobody's on the beach. I saw you break the rules. I saw you do this wrong. So we're taking you right now. So when they were, when they were cutting up herbs for food and other things, they would take 10% off the mint leaf and give it to some cause or to the house that they were working in as a supplementary thing that they would do to support what was going on. Jesus says, but you have neglected, look at this, these are more value-based ideas, justice, mercy, faithfulness, but you should have practised the latter and the former at the same time. You should should have done, see, under where we are now, we often say, well, it's the ones on justice and mercy, we really need to concentrate, the other one doesn't matter. That's not what Jesus said. He said both those exist at the same time. But if you think that justice and mercy is wrapped up in this religious thing we often do of tithing off and not seeing it as a value-based way we live, we've missed something. Do you remember those bands that people used to wear, What Would Jesus Do, WWJD? Well, as you, those of you who know me know that I, I'm not subtle really sometimes. Not subtle is the right way to say it. And people would wear these bands. And, and I'd go up and I'd wear them and I'd say, oh, you've got a What Would Jesus Do band on. And in the book, by the way, the tithing book I've written, I've, I do the history of where that idea came from. Where did that band come from and why does it exist? What would Jesus do? And uh, I look at them and go, well, the first thing Jesus would do is tithe. Do you tithe? And they hate that because it's always about values. It's always about being like Jesus. And, you know, following the lifestyle of Jesus. But the clinical part, the technical part, they don't want to know. I find that quite interesting. Jesus was in the business of supporting tithing. If Jesus, you know, in Malachi 3, it talks a lot about tithing there. I don't want to use Malachi 3. What I love about Malachi 3, 16, is where it says it does the whole thing on tithing. And Malachi says this in Malachi 3, 16, I am the God that changes not. And Jesus is God and he didn't change either. So why would I change the rules? Because I think I'm better than him, better than God. I am the God who changes not. These things are principles that live through life. They take you to the next level. They help you enhance the kingdom. They do great things in your own world and life. Jesus supported it. Here's another one in Hebrews 7.10. Tithing was before the law. Abraham gave a tenth to the priest. Tithing was before the law. Now, I haven't got time to go into this in great detail, but we often hear people say, yeah, but tithing is under the law. And if you say that, it's probably because you read a blog somewhere that doesn't make sense. Actually, that's a fallacy. It's not true. It was well before any law came into practice that they learned to give financially 10% of what they earned or 10% of everything they had. And what's happened, I think, is grace the wonderful message of grace. I was fortunate to be brought up in a church 
that taught and practiced the grace message fully. Uh, we didn't have a lot of religion stuff going on in the church. It was a great church in that way. And I learned something about in that church. This was 50 years ago when I became a Christian. I learned something in that church that when you discover the God of grace, you do more than what you did under the law. You don't reduce it back down. You do more than you did under the law. So I'll give you an example. The law is two ways expressed for us in Western civilization. Forget the Jewish culture right now, two ways. The first is we use the biblical idea of law, which I've just mentioned. Well, it's not in the, it's in the law of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all the rest of it. And it's not. But here's the second part I've discovered. Because of the influence of teaching in the church, it's almost like the average Western Christian practices law. I'll give you an idea of what I mean. The message of the gospel to the Jew had to unpack what the law was first before they could get right with God. So in other words, uh, they were taught that the gospel was you were created in God's image, you stepped out of that image, you can't get right with God on your own. That's called religion, where you practice certain things to get right with God. So Jesus came, died on a cross, and now you can have life in God. That's the gospel to the Jew. But actually, Paul writes to you and I, he writes light and darkness. He says to those of you who are outside of the law, it's light and darkness. If you're living in darkness, you need to find the light. And the light is in Christ. He is the light of the world and so on. Why have we got a message about law in Western church today? Because we've taught wrongly to Christians the law. So we fundamentally believe now in our world that there is a law and we're abiding by the law, but we're not. We are not under that law. We are under grace. But grace always does more than the law. So I get people who say, well, I've found the grace message and I don't tithe anymore. So I'm reducing down my financial life because I don't believe in it anymore. But in grace, they practice libertarianism in so many other areas. They start drinking stuff all the time. They go out and do this because it's grace. And I find that rather strange. That in the lifestyle, you change all the stuff you didn't do before under the law to the lifestyle stuff, but in money, you reduce it down. That's not how grace works. Grace gives more than it did under law. Grace is greater than the law. It's a, it's a fallacy to say, well, I live under grace, I'll do what I like because you're always going to give more. Actually, some we were talking about it today, but some theologian we know, he said, you know, tithing for the average New Testament Christian was pretty low bar. Pretty low bar, because they gave their houses, their lives, everything they had, they gave the lot. It's pretty low bar to say, well, I'm not going to really do what Jesus supported or believed in, or because it's before the law. It's pretty low bar. I'll just rest it there. You can meditate on that one for yourself. Hebrews 7, 8 says this, that tithing honest Jesus, he receives the tithe. Church, the church is the church or the administrative part of tithing is, is this house. This is where it gets used. You come in here today, you come into a, a nice place, it's warm. It probably won't be during winter because the electrical bill will be so high. But it's warm, the lights are on, you've got a place for the kids, you've got great music, you've got coffee out there. Do you think God just gave that to you? It's administrated by the church to make sure everyone gets their needs met. But you know, when you give your tithe, and I've never, ever in my life done anything different, I've always given it to Jesus. Every time. It goes to him and not to a system. 
Now the system can do what it likes with it. I gave it to Jesus. Yeah, but they might use it wrong. Don't care, I gave it to Jesus. Yeah, but don't you check? No, don't even go to the meetings. My wife has her own church. I'm the least interested in the financial stuff and I'm the biggest tither in there. I don't care. She says, you've got to come along and see what we're doing. Not interested. I give it to Jesus. Do what you like. It goes to him first. That's where it goes. Do you remember when I was young, we used to get paid by cash little yellow envelopes every week. Do you remember those days? Now it's direct transferred into your bank account. And uh, used to, or you'd go to the bank and draw cash out. And uh, I remember people, you know, would take their tithe and then scrunch it up real tight. God, I don't want to let this go. I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't know. What they're doing. And then when the offering bucket came by, they would let go of the money, but they scrunched it so tight it was stuck to the top of their hand. And they had to peel it off. Don't ever do that. Be the person who just loves Jesus, wants to serve him in what you're doing, and I let it go to him. I love him and it goes to him. I'm honoring him. He's the kingpin for me, not the system. The system comes second. Does that make sense? So you're giving to him. It honors him. And if you can get there in that, and he's done something in your life, you'll understand exactly what I mean. The next one is that in 1 Corinthians 9, 13, it says, those who preach the gospel will live by the gospel. Tithing supports the ministry of Jesus. Those who preach the gospel live by the gospel, Paul said. Meaning, oh, well, let me explain it another way. I ran a Bible school for 10 years, in, a Bible college in, in Australia for 10 years. It was a fairly big college. At, at, actually, at one point, it was probably Australia's largest college way back then. And uh, we, we had a lot of students who would go out and, and do their preaching to churches. Uh, these poor churches would listen to our students preach. I used to say to them, you know, you may not do too well, but be enthusiastic because at least they can say, well, it was pretty rubbish, but boy, he's enthusiastic. At least get that right. And um, they would go out and, and I said to them, you guys think that preaching is a thing that you can just do. It's a lovely thing to do, but you've got to think of it this way. Would somebody actually pay to listen to you preach? Would they actually put the dollar down and say, I want to hear that guy preach? Because that how, that's how it works in the kingdom. Those who preach the gospel had better get their skill sets right because they will live by the gospel or the preaching of the gospel. What we do when we give our tithe to the church, the system that administrates what we have or the organism that administrates is a much better word, we are actually allowing the gospel to be preached in a much greater way. People here today, there's probably people here today maybe for the first time, listening online for the first time, maybe in one of the campuses, listening, you've turned up, you've never been to church before, possibly, or your experience of church is different to this one, or maybe you have um, wandered in after falling away from your life with God, and you're starting to come back again, you might be sitting here now, or in one of the campuses, and, and you're probably thinking to yourself, what is it all about? Well, I, I want to I say this, you are hearing the message of the good news today, and the good news is this fellowship of people that we can live together, breathe together, do together. That Jesus through his life has not caused us to remain alone. And loneliness is a key thing today. But caused us to come into a body because the gospel is being preached. There's no better way than having a wonderful, beautiful house where people can come and say, is this really what it's like to be in this place? I was in church yesterday 
And we were talking about big picture ideas and stuff like this. And the pastor got up and he said, you know our big picture idea here in our church? It's that when people walk in for the first time, they go, wow, I didn't know Jesus could be this good. And I thought, that's a great big picture idea, isn't it? That people walk in, this is how we preach the gospel. We are supporting the work of God's ministry to reach out through multimedia, through the campuses, and, it's, and, and that's what our economy does. That's what our tithing does. So lastly, I'd say this. Tithing is financial wisdom, not a way to earn something from God. Can I just get this right? I've never tithed, never would, to get something back. That's a consequence of being committed Faithful, loyal. I had a guy who come up to me once when I was buying a book and he said, I used to tithe, I don't now. And I said, oh, why not? He said, well, I added up all the money I'd gave and found out I didn't get as much back as what I gave. And I looked at him and said, mate, you've got it all wrong. First of all, there's things that have happened in your life you can't even give an account for that are linked to your financial giving. Why would you do it like that? I think that's a strange way to work it out because it's just a way, if you like, that we live in the kingdom. Do you know something very interesting? I discovered the other day, and, and I only discovered this because some friends of mine went to the concert, Coldplay. All of you know Coldplay. Coldplay, what is the name? Chris Martin, I think, is the lead singer there. Uh, I, I'm not a, I've never, I don't, I, I have, anyway, Coldplay. <laughs> so they pack, they pack stadiums out today with 100,000 people, and they went along to the concert. I did a bit of research them and I found out this, and you can do it yourself. Coldplay tithe, not give, tithe on their total band income. And Chris Martin tithes on his personal income. They call it literally a tithe. They don't call it a giving. They call it a tithe. And this is because Chris Martin's mum, when he was very young, taught him the principle of tithing. Now this band and this guy, they don't, particularly, I think, go to a church right now, but they've understood the... Why are they probably the most influential, largest band in the world today? I have a feeling it's linked to how they look at their economy. I have a feeling some of it is that idea of they've understood a kingdom of God engine that drives what we do. And they're willing to step... If they are willing to step up to the plate and say, this is what... You might say... Yeah, but they have a lot more money than I do. They earn more money than I do. It's about the principle, not about how much. It's almost like that lady where Jesus said, I saw what you gave. Out of principle, you gave everything you had because the principle is more important than anything else. I hope today you're catching what I'm saying. And I hope as you're listening out there that you might in this moment engage and ask yourself the question, have I really bought into that discipleship moment? Do I really tithe? Am I buying into the kingdom of God? Maybe I need some more time, but I want today for the Holy Spirit to do His work for you. So before we stand and sing, I'm going to pray and the band will come. They're going to start to play. Then I'll talk to some other people in the house right now. But I want you to ask yourself through the Spirit where you're at with this. Is that okay? Just open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. Let's do that now. Father, we thank you today for the Word of God that is great wisdom to us. We thank you, Lord, that today, many years after I've experienced a relationship with you, the basics of discipleship work if you just keep plodding forward. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, you would work on hearts and lives and let them make a commitment or decision to do what they have to do based on your encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, just to say this, uh, we'll have opportunity. Gavin will be uh, out the back there with me somewhere nearby. If you're interested to know more, want to talk to us, you're more than welcome to do that about what it means.